So we are going to be in Genesis. We have started an Advent series. Um, Tom got us started last week where he talked about the theme of grace in Sarah's life. We're kind of tracing the lineage of Jesus, hitting the mothers of Jesus as we approach Christmas. And so today we're just going to jump to that second generation. There was Abraham and Sarah. Now we're going to pick up with Isaac and Rebecca, okay? So really what this is, is an an exercise in um, contrast. Almost every element of the story is going to be contrasted later on, okay? And sometimes it's going to be a retelling, okay? Um, And I need you to think about, what's the best way to put this? I want you to see that there are different levels to this story. The overarching theme is going to be God's faithfulness, okay? We're going to see that again and again and again, but come down a level, and I want you to picture the, um, I don't know anything about genetics, but I can picture the the double helix of, of DNA, and it looks really complicated, right? And it twists, okay? Um, put that sideways and just kind of twist that through the story. There's going to be different people at different times, but it's all kind of tied together and it moves together. It's complicated, but we're going to try to unpack some of that, okay? It's going to get real messy down here in this lower level because it's people, right? Broken and fallen world, all of that good stuff. And I also want to kind of model for you the importance of reading from this top layer down to the messy layer as opposed to reading from the messy layer up, okay? And I, I hope to be able to illustrate to you, dude, Tom has such a big head. This thing will not stay on. Okay, I think, but now you've got to turn me down because I actually, okay. Yeah, grande cabeza. Last time we did this, I like used scotch tape. I don't know if you saw, but there was like tape holding it onto my head. Oscar got it bent, but it, moves a little bit. Okay. Where were we? Oh, we're going to read not up, but we're going to read down. Okay. We're not going to read from the messy stuff up. We're going to understand that God is working out his plan and he is working out his promise, even though it's a fallen and broken world. Okay. So let's jump to Genesis 21. Okay. And what we're going to see there, oh, I should, I should probably do some housekeeping stuff. There is this insert right here. So these are some scriptures that we're going to be reading through. And Tom is awesome about like giving you these sentences and there's a blank and he always like verbatim reads it to you and gives you the answers. I'm nowhere near that smooth. I tried it last time and totally botched it. So I went a different direction. I just gave you some questions that I would like for you to consider while we read. There will be a test. These are essay questions. There's a rubric. And the answer, you know, I know a good essay when I see one, so good luck. Just just saying. There is a curve but uh, it's not a kind one. So in Genesis 21, what we see there is that 
Isaac is born, okay? Um, it was prophesied by God in Genesis 18. And <clears throat> Sarah had been barren for a long time. And finally, they get to have a baby, right? And what we get in 21, Genesis 21, verse 1, is just the statement of God's faithfulness and his power, his control in the entire situation. 21.1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. So the emphasis here is on God's faithfulness, God's ability to to make his promises come true, okay? Sarah and Abraham are impossibly old, but yet they're still having the promised son, okay? Now, let's jump over. There is this beautiful chapter, 22. It's a great chapter of, um, it's a model of the sacrifice that Jesus will make on the cross. Different sermon, different day. We're going to skip past it. We're going to go to Genesis 23, so turn the page. What you're going to see there is this really kind of odd chapter where Abraham goes to great expense and great trouble to buy a cave that's at the end of a field um, from the Hittites so that he can bury his wife. And I want you to remember that because it's going to come into play. Remember I said that this is kind of an exercise in contrast. It's going to come into play later on. Okay, but cruise past 23, and we move into a transition from the first generation, Abraham and Sarah, now into Isaac and Rebekah, 24, 1. So this is, I think, where we would put the scripture up here. Maybe I'm going in order. I don't, I don't know if I am or not. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So that now we, we're, we're transitioning, right? So what, what's about to happen here is that Abraham's going to call his most trusted, his right-hand man, his servant. And he's going to make him promise to go find Isaac a wife. And we're going to jump into verse 10 here in just a second. And we're going to read that story. But the really important part here, also a contrast for later on, that you need to pick up on is that in verse 5, as Abraham and the servant are dialoguing about this promise that he's going to go and find him a wife. The, um, the servant is smart, and he asks a, a clarifying question. The servant said to him, verse 5, Perhaps the woman that I find may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son, that's Isaac, back to the land from which you came? Remember how God had called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees in um, Genesis 12, and they had kind of taken the long route, but he called him into the promised land. Well, along that route, some of his family stayed. And so the servant is saying, should I ever take Isaac back there? And Abraham's response in 6, Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. Okay? And he, he's adamant here, okay? So, the servant packs up all this stuff, heads out. Verse 10, Then the servant took 
ten of the master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Okay, this is the brother of Abraham. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, okay, he's about to, uh, he's about to kind of make a deal with God here, okay? I don't advise you all to do this. I don't think it really works. This is scripture, right? It's a little different. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you, you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Okay, this is where if you're not reading, if you're reading from the messy stuff down here up as opposed to the overarching, excuse me, from the overarching theme down, okay, you could really get mixed up. You could be like, oh, well, this is a chapter on how to go find a wife. And all of a sudden, I'd be publishing books and making money, and you'd walk into the Christian bookstore, and there'd be a book saying, water my camels. And Christians who are weird enough as it is would start to be even weirder as they interact. You know, you go to a college group, and the college boys would be like, hey, you want to water my camels? Like, it would be bad. It would be really bad. Okay? There's all kinds of ways that you could rip this out of context if you don't read it in the proper way. Okay? That's really what I'm after there. Okay. But we see God's faithfulness. 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive. Remember that question I showed you? I'm trying to answer it. It was very attractive in appearance. A maiden who no man had known. She went out to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her. He ran to meet her. I don't think people did a lot of running in those days. Okay. Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. He says a little water, right? I just, I just need a little drink. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. Okay. You see how if you rip this out of context, it's like, hey, man, you're looking for a wife who will water your camels. You know, that it could be bad. It could be the next prayer of Jabez. 
You know, there'd be the, the Water My Camels workbook and the Water My Camels for Women edition of the Bible. I mean, it would be bad. I could make a lot of money, but I'm not going to, okay? If I do it, shoot me. Someone, please. Would be... Okay. So, and I'm on verse 20. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. I don't know how much camels drink, but I'm guessing it's a lot, especially if they've been on a, on a long trip. You know, I think that's kind of what they're famous for, and there's 10 of them, right? So a couple of trips with her jar. She worked hard. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So she doesn't get, he doesn't get crazy just because she says she'll do it. He actually waits and sees. Does she finish the job? Okay. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, weighing a half shekel, and two bracelets for her arms, weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And then the man worships. He sees that God has been faithful, that God has been in control this whole time. Um, so what have we learned about Rebecca so far? She's very attractive. She's beautiful, right? She's hardworking. And we're going to learn some more about her as, as we go. Um, and she was willing to do the work without ever seeing any type of payment, right? I mean, she was just being nice. Contrast that to what we're about to read. Um, skip down to... 29. We're going to learn about a new character. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Anybody recognize this name? He's going to come into play later, right? Okay, Star Wars analogy. You know how you can always know that Darth Vader is coming before he's ever on the scene? It's like, I did it badly, but you know that sound of his breath? Okay, that should be playing in the background in your mind right now as as Laban is introduced, because he's not, he's not a great guy, okay? And that'll come, we'll see that more in, in the Jacob story later on. Not today, but when you, you are reading on your own, you will get to see the, the character of Laban, okay? But watch, watch, watch the order in which Laban um, handles things. Remember, Rebecca was nice and worked hard and, and then was rewarded. So pay close attention to the order here. 29, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out to the man to the spring. Okay, now that's kind of a summary statement, but it doesn't really tell you the order in which things happened. Go to the next verse, 30. We get a few more details and it puts it more in order for us. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. Okay, 
So Laban's like, hello, like cartoons, like dollar signs in the eyes. Cha-ching. Yeah, that's the kind of guy Laban is. So the servant has made a deal with God, and it comes to fruition exactly the way that he planned it out, the way that he wanted it to go. The servant goes, he makes the deal, he tells the family exactly what happens. The, the servant has said that it's the hand of God. By the time he gets done telling the story, um, Rebecca's family feels like this is the hand of God, and um, who can deny that, that God is the one at work here, and they're willing to give Rebecca to Isaac, okay? Then Laban and his father are like, well, let, let us just keep Rebecca for a couple more days. Let us, let us have her for at least 10. You know, we, we, we want to say our goodbyes. And the, the servant, I think he's picked up on the kind of guy that Laban is. And he's like, no, let me go right now. So then they put it on Rebecca. And Rebecca is more than willing to just pack up her stuff and go. So we've seen that Rebecca is beautiful, that she's hardworking, and that she's just willing to go. She's willing to trust and move forward when she sees the hand of God working, right? So we've, we've got this really great picture of Rebecca going forward. But is that usually the way that the Bible plays out? Is, is the, are the people in the Bible usually the hero? No, right? Because even when the Bible paints them in a really good light, usually there's a downfall, right? They're not always as dramatic as like, say, David killing Goliath and then Bathsheba, which we're going to learn about later on in this Advent series. Um, but it may start well, but it doesn't always end well, okay? So let's, we've just summed up all of 24, basically. And so we're making pretty good progress. I mean, last time I was up here, didn't we do like 50 chapters of Genesis? I mean, this is nothing. I mean, six, seven chapters. This is easy. You guys are smart, so you guys can, uh, can, can keep track. Um, go to Genesis 24, if you're following along, um, verse 60. It's interesting that her family blesses Rebecca in almost the same words um, as Abraham and Isaac have been blessed. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. So we're seeing that this promise, this fulfillment is, is being applied to Rebecca as well as it's being passed down from Abraham to Isaac, okay? Um, that she's important to the story as well. Now in 25, remember I told you that it's, you know, kind of like this double helix where it's all messy and and together, 25, it kind of shifts back to Abraham. All of a sudden, instead of being this old, feeble man, he seems to be a new guy. Sarah, Sarah has died. He gets a new wife. He has a whole other slew of children. Um, but they are all packed up, given gifts, 
and sent away to the east, away from Isaac, because he and he alone is going to carry forward with the promise. Okay? It's very explicit there. But let's go to 2519, where we pick back up with, with Rebecca being part of the story. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian, from or of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Armenian, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So we see that, that Rebekah, just like Sarah before, needed God's direct intervention into her life and into the line. That this, that this promise that's moving forward is not made of man. It, it's not something that men can accomplish on its own. That God yet again has to step in and make a miracle happen. Sarah was barren. She was old. She has a baby. Okay? Rebecca doesn't have to wait nearly as long, but she was barren, and Isaac prays for her, and she has a baby. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. Now, 22. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her. Now, it doesn't give us much information here as to what's going on with Rebecca. Um, I mean, you can guess away, but obviously Moses didn't think that whatever pain she was in or whatever was going on was that important. But the Lord says to her, and she hears it, right? Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Okay? And when you think of Jacob and Esau, and even when you get later on to Judah, the older brothers serve the younger brothers. This is going to be a theme that, that goes through as well, okay? So this, this is important. And she hears it. So what should she do here? She should just rest and relax in the promise of God. She's already seen Isaac pray for her in her barrenness, and she has a baby, right? She knows that God is faithful. She heard the story of the servant and how he had said, this is what I need to happen. And even before he was done talking to God, it started to happen. She knows that God is faithful. So I'm sure that that's the way she's going to play this out, right? I mean, she's not going to need to mess with it. She's just going to enjoy the fact that God is faithful. What do you think? Not so much? We know, right? Can't we put ourselves in Rebecca's place? Don't we know that God is faithful? Do we ever just relax and obey and trust 
Yeah, probably a little bit of the time, right? But how often are we like taking what we should just allow God to do and saying, no, 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 I'll be in control. Yeah, I'm only this old and you're eternal. I can barely make ends meet and you created the universe. But, you know, I'm, I, I got this, right? Like, why? Why do we do that? Why do we do it? I, I don't know. I wish, I mean, I do know. The biblical answer is, right, we're, we're all wrecked with sin, and, and we, want to, um, we want to worship ourselves instead of worship God, right? That, that's the biblical answer. Like, I know the truth. I know it. But why can't I live it? Like, why, why do I have to learn this lesson daily? Like, I mean, I'm not the brightest guy on the planet, but I'm not stupid either. Like, you'd think that I would learn it. Yet, every day, every day, and my boys are a great example of this because, you know, there's not a time that I get to have a, a conversation with them about their obedience. And I ask them to obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. And I can't get through that without going. And I don't obey all the way, right away, or with a happy heart all the time. So it's just so convicting every time we have that conversation. And I wish that I would learn it already. Right? Come, Lord Jesus. (laughs) I can't get my glorified body and get to heaven quick enough. Right? Right? Okay, so let's see how it plays out for, for Rebecca. When her days, how far had we gotten? All the way through the prophecy. So we're, on, we're in Genesis chapter 25. We're in verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So, yeah, guys, back hair. It's a, it's a long-term problem. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Biblical parents play favorites is what I just got from that. Okay. So, in the rest of that chapter, we see this brief little incident where Esau is famished. He didn't um, kill anything. He doesn't have anything to eat. So he comes in and he doesn't care about his birthright. He's the firstborn, but he sells it for like a bowl of soup, lentil soup. That doesn't even sound good to me. I guess he was really, really hungry. Um, And so that kind of plays in that that Esau didn't even care about his, his birthright. So 
even though God has already foreordained the fact that the younger is going to have the blessing and that the older is going to serve him, we see that Esau didn't, didn't much care about it. Okay. 26, remember our double helix, right? Isaac is now living out and making some of the same mistakes that Abraham did in, in chapter 26. So we're going to skip over to that, except for the last little verse there. Whenever a verse just seems completely out of place and completely random, take note, okay? Take note. So skip all the way to the end, 26, 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Okay, so, I mean, this seems utterly random. Like, how is this going to play in? Well, hold on to it, and let's see. So 27, we get to where Rebecca really gets her hands dirty, <laughs> okay? Um, she puts together this plan, okay? 27.1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that they could not see He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and Esau answered, he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, here's her plan. She already has the prophecy of God. She knows that God is faithful and that he's going to work this out. Yet she can't resist getting involved. And she's going to help God out, right? That's what you guys do, right? That's certainly what I do. I'm just helping God out. He needs my help. Yeah. I don't know why I tell myself that. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. As I command you, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob's no dummy. He's like, well, hold on, right? But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau He's a hairy man. I'm the smooth brother, right? Right? I don't think that that is the same translation. I mean, we're not talking about smooth brother. I think it's lack of hair, right? Hmm. My brother Esau is a hairy man, 
and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me. Perhaps Isaac's not as old as he appears, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. This idea of mocking, okay, this is the same word as um, the name Isaac. Remember that Sarah laughs and Abraham laughs, and so God says, going to laugh? Going to name this kid laughter, right? And it plays through this entire Isaac narrative. Yitzhak, I believe is the, is the word. So it, it plays, I shall seem to be laughing at him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So, Rebecca can't resist. She's going to help God out. She's going to manipulate the situation to where she gets it her way because she loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau, right? So he does exactly what, um, what she says, and um, they go so far as to take um, Isaac's best garments and put, or not Isaac, Esau's best garments on Jacob. They take the skin of the goats and like put it on his hands and his neck. I mean, this is a, quite a production that Rebecca goes through to, to try to fool Isaac. And in 28, after Isaac has been convinced, he says, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So it works out, right? But how is Rebecca painted here? She's not so pretty and hardworking and trusting anymore, is she? It's more manipulating, right? And it gets worse. So Esau comes back. He's killed something. He prepares it. Isaac eats it. But Isaac's like, I already blessed you. I already gave away my blessing. It's irrevocable. And Isaac gets um, Isaac prophesies about Esau, but I wouldn't call it a blessing, right? Um, thirty nine, verse thirty nine says. Then Isaac his father answered and said to Esau, to him, "Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother." But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. 
And what is the result of all of this, of Rebekah's scheming and manipulating? 41, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Didn't she say that before? Those exact words. If I'm Jacob, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. Like, I, I saw how this turned out last time. This is not going well for me. But, I mean, I guess his life is on the line, right? Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what, watch the pronoun there, what you have done to him. And that's great. I mean, she really owned it there, didn't she? <laughs> Man, the pronouns, right? Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? So she seems to be, to be saying here that not only has she lost Esau, Esau must understand what's actually going on, but if, she, if Esau then kills Jacob, she's going to lose them both in the same day. So she's managed to help God out to the tune of creating so much animosity or hatred between her two sons that now she's lost them both, right? I mean, and she's doing the exact thing that Abraham was so adamant about not happening to Isaac. Do you remember at the beginning of the story where we started, right? It was, see to it that you do not take my son back there. But yet she's having to send her son to the very place that Abraham did not want Isaac to go to save his life. She's kind of wrecked things. But even, it doesn't really stop there. She's kind of created this situation and now it's spinning out of control and she won't ever own it, right? We just saw that with the pronoun that you did. But 46. So she's going to make up an excuse, right? She's not going to just say, okay, Isaac, I've created this situation. She's not going to own it. Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. Who are the Hittite women? They're the ones that Esau married, right? Remember 26, 34, that random verse. 26, 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Bere, 
bear, e, beer, e. I just see beer when I, when I read that word, sorry. The Hittite to be his wife and Basemith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Okay, it comes into play, right? I don't know, Moses is brilliant the way he just drops these little bits and then picks them up and ties them back in. I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? And so Isaac sends Jacob away to the very place Abraham did not want Isaac to go. And that kind of shuts the door on Rebecca. Do you remember, if you flip backwards, that Sarah had an entire chapter, 23, of Abraham going well out of his way at great expense to buy a cave and a field to bury her and honor her. And yet, Rebecca, who started so well, she's beautiful, she's hardworking, she's trusting, ends up being painted as manipulative and creating so much hatred that she has to go against the wishes when she didn't need to, right? Because she had heard the blessing. She understood that the older would serve the younger. So we could moralize this and we could say, well, don't be a Rebecca. But I don't think that that's the point. I think the point is, is that God is faithful in this situation. That despite their, despite Rebecca's manipulating and um, all of her shenanigans, that God continues to work out his story. And I'm so glad that he does. Because then we can just change that sentence and put my name in. Despite Rusty's manipulation and shenanigans, he continues to work out his plan. Okay? And it's Christmas time. We see the fruit of that. We know that it's, that it's God who's brought Jesus into the world, right? Um, again and again and again, I'm just floored at the biblical characters and their ability to mess things up. And then I stop and I look at my own life and I go, amen, brothers. How many times have I messed up my own life? And I think that it's when we really appreciate Again, the depth of the problem that we see how bright the solution is, right? When we're honest with our own estate, then the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and the solution that he is, um, is just awesome. So God is in control and he always has been. We screwed it up in the Garden of Eden. He promised to fix it. He has fixed it. 
And we're standing on the back end of that, looking backwards at the cross, coming to a Christmas season. And I hope that as we are rushing around with our, what was it, 19 shopping days left, that we will take some time and just appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Okay? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are so wonderful and so faithful. And it is... Um, is so contrasted by our faithlessness. We are constantly screwing it up. We are constantly trying to help you out when you don't need help. Please forgive us and help us to, um, to just rest and, in, and relax in your sovereignty and just be faithful um, with the small things and let you work out the big things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.